0: Hi, and welcome to LeechFest, a medical history podcast where we haunt you again, because today we're doing another spooky SpookySode episode, because they're so, so very fun to do, and they're the best possible way for us to return after our, after a little hiatus. This is for our benefit, don't mind, don't don't judge us. But before we go into uh, today's subjects, which might deal about potential cryptids and aliens and whatever else fun we might have in our stash, Let's introduce ourselves. Hi, I'm Mia.
1: And I'm Salem. Uh,
0: and how have you been? We talk about ourselves first. Uh,
1: <laughs> first, ourselves, and then patrons, yeah. and then.
0: And then, four hours into the episode. Four hours
1: into the episode, we actually do the episode. Yeah. Um, I'm fine. I don't remember, was it last time that I was talking about my bike? How I yeah. got a bike, and how it was so amazing, and I'm bike build, and I love biking.
0: <laughs> we, we no longer like the bike. <laughs> bike has become enemy
1: oh uh, what's that meme friendship with bike over <laughs>
0: <laughs> now new bike is my best friend. new
1: bike is my new best friend um i think i'm gonna sell the bike it me i i i think i got swindled on this one i uh, got bamboozled i got bamboozled i i bought it for like 80 euros or something and already had to spend like 60 more to replace the brakes and they're squeaking uh the bike is squeaking and it's i don't know the gears are weird and the chain is popping so i i i pulled an l on this one but um yeah i think i can i think maybe i'll buy a new one
0: considering bus prices in stockholm you probably made that back by like not doing two bus trips
1: for sure for sure but it's um It's, I don't know, it's just, like, stressful every day. Yeah, no, I get it. (laughs) But um, that's been what's been happening, uh, dealing with annoying bikes. How are you?
0: Oh, I'm in heaven, because all of my major deadlines are over. Mm -hmm. And now I can enjoy new deadlines, which are much less severe, which I'm very happy about. No, I'm great. I, like, I'm doing nothing now. We're easing into November, uh, well on our way. It's
1: mid-November right now. Well
0: (laughs) on our way into Christmas Uh, and a lot of like my big work deadlines are over now, and I'm very happy about that. I'm working on mm-hmm. my next video. Like it's a very default kind of, kind of work yeah. hang now, which I'm very happy about because it's been months since I, since I could just be like a have a normal workload. Mm-hmm. So it's it's no news, but that's good news. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's me.
1: Yeah, I feel like for me it's also been kind of a default couple weeks. No no big news. No amazing transatlantic flights. No um, conferences. No no. Okay. But,
0: I, but I do have my municipal budget of 55 pages, which I will now read to you in full. Okay.
1: <laughs> is that the scary episode? That's a
0: scary episode. Yeah, we're talking about tax rates.
1: Okay, before we go into the actual episode, we want to thank our wonderful, wonderful patrons. With one patron in particular, and that is Jason Hage. Hague? Hague? Hage? Hage?
0: Um, Hage. We don't know how you pronounce uh, your names. I think it's pronounced Jason Hage, uh, but I could be wrong.
1: I feel really bad. I feel like Patreon should include like a like phonetic, like a <laughs> phonetic thing, or like a, a an option for people to actually pronounce their word, mm. like a recording, so that I know that I'm I'm getting it right. Um, in any case, thank you, Jason, for supporting us. We super appreciate it, and we appreciate also every other patron that we have, and also you, our listeners.
0: And if you're interested in becoming a patron, you should know that you do actually get access to the notes that we used to during the episode, as well as a special video version where you get to see our lovely faces. And for these Halloween episodes, uh, we have nice candles out, a little spooky vibe, uh, <laughs> but only for patrons.
1: Almost set the mic on fire a few times. It's, it's yeah, all good.
0: I got freaked out. It's okay.
1: Okay, Mia. So, as promised, in this second installment of the Sears Spooky Sode, I will be talking about a very mysterious event that occurred in the Rural Mountains in the 60s, which to this day has not been resolved, though there are many, many hypotheses with varying degrees of credibility. But before I get ahead of myself, let me set the scene for you. It was a Soviet Union... January
0: 1959. Soviet music blaring.
1: <laughs> Khrushchev just took office a few years ago and was on his way to reform the country by softening some of the Stalinist policies that were governing. That had been governing Russian culture, mm. which later became known as the FAW. Arts, science and athletics were becoming more accessible, and there was a renewed sense of promise and hope for the future in the air. It was an exhilarating time to be young, physically fit and intellectually curious which our main characters were all of these
0: i love that you not only do you weave in like the background that that's the setting but like no like post stalinist communism is Mm -hmm. essential for the context of this (laughs) horror story which i love
1: you know, I, I have a soft spot for communist Russia and just Ru- Russian history in general. I could talk about that for it's hours. A neat, it's a neat part of
0: history. Shame how it turned out.
1: So that's the scene. And we begin the story at the Ural Polytechnic Institute, which was located in what is now known as Yekaterinburg.
0: Can I ask a question? Yes. I know I'm interrupting a lot already, but what does polytechnic mean? I've heard it so many times, but I never... like there's like polytechnic universities and stuff like that but i don't know what it means what, I think like it, what is it and i, I, I hear it a lot in russia
1: too yeah i think it's just like i'm freaking out a little bit because i don't know for sure <laughs> but i think it's just like engineering mostly like you like do a, hard l- tech like a lot you know?
0: like it's basically like i guess like stem like you do a lot of technical yeah shit. but i think Poly- it's mostly technic.
1: engineering it's it's mm. it's not like like biology i think it's more like the 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 Mm. tech part of STEM. Let me look it up for you so I don't say something that's wrong. So polytechnic, just the definition relating to or devoted to instruction in many technical arts or applied sciences. Okay. So, I mean, applied technology, I think would be the best way to describe it. Okay, so we start out at the Rural Polytechnic Institute. It's in Yekaterinburg, but the city was named something else, but I'm I'm just going to refer to it as Yekaterinburg. Mm. So, in the institute, nine friends in their early 20s were making last-minute preparations before embarking on a perilous hiking trip in the Ural Mountains. When completed, this trip would award them grade-free certification, which at the time was the highest hiking certification which the group badly wanted. They're hiking certification. Yeah, so you know how you can get a certification for scuba diving. <laughs> this is yeah. the only parallel I can think of. It's like I mean, it's, you, it's it's like a, a, a diploma that kind of shows that you can teach others. Oh, uh, I guess okay. take them, take other people on treks and so on.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Thank
1: you for the certification. They would have had to cover at least 186 miles, a large portion of which had to be spent in perilous terrain and uninhabited regions. Additionally, the journey was to be documented with diaries and photographs to be provided as evidence to the university's hiking commission that the hikers followed the guidelines required to achieve the hiking certification.
0: I love that they have a hiking commission. Mm-hmm.
1: They um they also had to present like the route that they were gonna take. It wasn't just like a hiking club where like people would go hiking together like on a weekend. It was like shit was serious. Like they were not playing about hiking.
0: So you you know, like I can imagine them having having to do a lot of paperwork. You Mm -hmm. give it to like a person who used to be in head of who used to be in charge of a shoe factory Mm -hmm. and the person is just like, yeah, it looks good. Uh you go out on the hiking trip on a bus that's powered by a nuclear reactor, Mm -hmm. it's great.
1: So just a small detail, it's uh, part of why they were so serious about hiking is people were still not really able to go uh, to other countries. Like they couldn't really travel outside the country. So hiking was like just one of the few ways that people could travel. Yeah.
0: It was like that for a while too, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like you can travel, you could travel like within the Soviet Union and sometimes within like the Eastern Bloc, but Mm -hmm. like traveling to like the West was not super easy. Yeah.
1: So it's what they had. So the hiking group was led by 23-year-old Igor Dyatlov, who was a student of radio engineering at the institute. Igor was lean and strong, with wide-set eyes and a head of closely cropped hair, and was known at the institute for his technical skills and the easy command he took over every situation.
0: (laughs) This is the most most stereotypical Russian dude. Hello, I'm a radio engineer. I'm like, this is a Bond villain. (laughs) No, this is a Bond think, assistant. Like, if, he helps out Bond. He's God, good
1: Mia, if you think this one is the most oh, Russian God. one, <laughs> I got a few coming up. I was like, this cannot be real.
0: I'm just saying, he, he sounds like a companion in, a, in an RPG video game mm, from the sure. Soviet Union.
1: Yeah, he takes you on a quest. He gives
0: you, like, special perks based on radio technology.
1: Um. So there's Igor, and then there's also Zinaida Komogorova, known as Zina, who is one of the two women of the group. Uh, she was also a student of radio engineering, and she was a lively and bright presence who had been appointed as a diarist for the evening. Next, Ludmila Dubinova, or Luda, was 20 years old and the youngest of the group. She was a student of construction economics and had been assigned to oversee the finances of the trip, to count the money and roll it tightly in a waterproof can. Very Russian thing to do. Mm. She was a strong, no-bullshit young communist. On a previous camping trip, she was shot in the leg after one of her hiking companions mishandled a hunting rifle. And though she had to be carried for 50 miles through Siberia's eastern Sayan mountains, she kept her companions in good spirits throughout the journey. Like, this girl was not playing.
0: <laughs> I'm saying, like, they built them differently, you know what they I mean? They built them different like, than Russia. <laughs> like, like, Soviet Russian <laughs> people, like, they're built different.
1: Yeah. Um... There was also Yuri Yudin. He had a boyish face and prominent teeth that stuck out when he smiled. He had suffered his entire life from rheumatism, a heart condition, and chronic knee and back pain. Uh, so he was the least likely member of the hiking group.
0: He's just like me, for real.
1: <laughs> Despite his illnesses, he insisted that hiking restored his vitality, and this was something that he really liked to do on this kind of trip. Mm. The remaining five consisted of Yura Doroshenko, was brave and had an impressive physique and who once chased a bear on a camping trip no with way. his geologist hammer.
0: No 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 this is a this is a Disney movie I know,
1: about Russian people.
0: This is like the movie Atlantis that you're talking about. This is the cr- this is the ragtag crew that like some professor has given you when trying to find the lost this of Atlantis. This is when America
1: when America makes a movie about Russia. Yeah <laughs> like a Disney
0: They're not beating the allegations.
1: No. And then there was Georgie who was the group's musician and storyteller. He did not have a balalaika though. He had um, another instrument uh, like a tiny guitar, but it wasn't a balalaika.
0: I quite love that they had that they just had like the group's musician. I know.
1: A critical so piece funny. of any hiking. I know. It's expedition. so funny this these people are like a D&D group, you know? Mm, you got the them. yeah, you got the medic, you got the leader, you got the
0: you got the bard? The
1: bard, <laughs> the one who's really sick.
0: Got uh, the tank with yeah, the hammer. With
1: like, a hammer. shit. Alexander Kolovatov was the seventh one, I think. A methodical and reserved young man. Rustic, the group's rich kid, the, the Nepo baby. Kolya, who was serious and well read but always looked for humor in every situation. So that's the nine. And then a tenth member would join the party later. Alexander Zolotaryov, known as Sasha, who was 37 and the oldest of the group. With a mouthful of gold teeth and a number of tattoos, Sasha was a World War II veteran.
0: Wait, he had grills? A mouthful of gold teeth? No,
1: he didn't have grills. It's like um, I don't know why, but in Eastern Europe, people oh, usually replace too. them with gold teeth. I don't think it's real gold, but it's like no, we it's do that. Very we, common.
0: We do that here too. I mean, I mean, uh, to be fair, that,
1: to be fair, I haven't heard a lot of people do that
0: here actually. But I know I feel people like it's a in really the family old, who have tiny, done it, it's, and well, it, they use real gold. So real gold. It's it's so that you can keep it with you. Yeah. You you always have it with you, you know? Like, you like whatever else happens, you have some gold teeth.
1: But I feel like... It it's was... like an
0: emergency type of stash mm. that you always have with you, you know what I mean?
1: I was thinking maybe it has something to do with, like, antibacterial properties or something. I don't know. I've never looked oh. into it.
0: It could it could be that it's also like just, resistant. like, a, a good way to sort of play to the teeth.
1: Yeah. But anyway, it's... I don't know dentistry super it's well. It's very common in Eastern Europe to see, like, older people especially with mm. gold teeth. Yeah. So I think, yeah.
0: Gold teeth, tattoos, and a World War Two vet. Mm-hmm. Cool.
1: Thirty-seven years old. In the book, it also said he was he was very old. And then, uh, in parentheses, thirty-seven. I was 37. like, bitch.
0: Like, come on. <laughs> it's less than a decade away from my own age. Yeah. Like, shut the fuck up. Thirty-seven old. Come yeah. On. Yeah yeah so he was the elderly man in the group Mm -hmm.
1: so in order to arrive at the starting point of the hiking route which was way in the boonies like the so like i mentioned they really had to go in uninhabited territory to get the certification
0: i like the idea of soviet boonies
1: (laughs) so they had to take a tram from the polytechnic institute which would take them first to the first train station from where they would take a train and then another train and then a bus and then a truck. And then they would begin their journey by traversing a frozen river by skis. So this was like four days of travel to only... To to get to the start. To the start. Shit. Okay, so first they took a 10-hour night train, which took them to Serov, which was an iron and steel manufacturing town 200 miles north of Yekaterinburg. The next train wasn't until the evening of the same day, and they were super exhausted from the night's irregular sleep. It's not so easy to sleep in a train. Walking the path through the log cabin-style houses, they encountered an elementary school bearing the name of school number 41. Classic. <laughs> A classic uh, Eastern European school name. They knocked on the door and asked if they could sleep inside. A sympathetic schoolmaster allowed them to rest if they would speak to the children about their trip which they did to the joy and awe of the school children. You can't do
0: this shit today. I
1: know. I, I just thought it was so charming. Like, yeah, they, they just knocked cute. on the door and they were like, hey, can we sleep on the floor of the school? And they were like, yeah. Yeah, come on in. Just just tell us. Tell what us are you a doing. story about your adventures. And
0: everyone like, like, you can't do this shit today. No. Everything's so professionalized because people would be like, they would call the police and be like, who are these strange people? Like, there's no community they would definitely There's no the,
1: trust. Yeah, they would call the cops in for sure. At 6.30pm the same day, they took another train to Ivdel, which was the last civilized outpost from which they could send any last dispatches before disappearing from the radar. Initially, Ivdel was a gold mining settlement, but from 1937 onwards, it functioned as a Soviet prison camp. Eventually, a small Gaz-63 rolled up, and Gaz was a Soviet brand of buses, which were mass-produced following the end of World War II. Yeah, oh yeah, I see you nodding. I know the I know familiar the gas. with the gas. Messes. I know the
0: gas. <laughs> I, there are still gases rolling around still. Because really? the Soviet the Soviets built shit to last, right? So like they, I'm I mostly think, like, thinking of the truck, mm-hmm. uh, but it's the same kind of like brand. They're still rolling mm-hmm. because like uh, planned obsolescence, not a thing. In, not a thing in planned economies. You know what I mean? Like, mm. but they're they're sturdy as fuck. But they're not very modern. I think today, and they would be kind of. They were kind of rinky-dink back then, too, so I can imagine them having another uncomfortable ride in the gas. <laughs>
1: Wait, hold on. I actually want to look up a picture. I, haven't, I wonder if I've ever ridden in one. So this kind of bus uh, usually served to transport local workers to and from camps, but that day the, the bus would take the hiking group to their next stop, uh, which was the town of Vijay. The bus itself was a type of express bus. The trip lasted only two hours with only the occasional bathroom break, which was at the discretion of the bus driver. And this is uh, quite common in, or was very common in the Soviet Union and still in post-Soviet countries. In fact, I've experienced this myself, oh. <laughs> where you ride on a bus and then the driver may or may not decide to stop the bus at some point. And then he pulls over to the side of the road and then the women file to the left and the men file on the right and then you pee. Oh. and that's like it's like huh. the world is your toilet you know just like in a line
0: <laughs> it's good to know that, that that there's a system
1: i just i love how like the driver he he never asks anyone like hey like you guys need to pee he just like stops and i was like get out yeah driver, ne-
0: driver needs to pee now you pee
1: <laughs> yeah
0: if that isn't an allegory for uh russian style communism then what is it? isn't you know what i mean
1: And then I have a little excerpt from uh, Georgie's diary. He noted how the friends tried to make the best out of an uncomfortable journey. It got pretty cold as we were riding in the back of a Gaz 63. We were singing all the way, discussing various issues from love and friendship to cancer diseases and treatment. And I thought this was also really charming. Russians love to talk about love, friendship and cancer and treatment. (laughs) At 2 p.m. the group arrived at Vijay which was a woodcutting settlement that had been built on the backs of gulag prisoners, as well as free workers of the area, who would be sent out into the forests during the day and returned to their camps at night. The camps were kept strictly separate from the town, so the groups did not see any prisoners, but they did see members of the free workers' camps. At the settlement, they were met with a warning from one of the foresters in the area, who they asked for advice on the roads and their route because foresters were the people who were most familiar with the area. The forester named Ivan Rempel strongly urged them to turn back, quoting the dangerous winter conditions outside, the ravines and pits where people can sink and winds so strong that they can blow people away. While Igor did not heed the forester's warnings, and in fact seemed encouraged by them, Yuri Yudin, um, who you remember was the, the person with the health problems, started having doubts.
0: Yes, uh, as would I. If, if, if a very experienced person is like, hey, don't fucking do this, I'm going to be like,
1: okay. Yeah, but for them, this was like a challenge, you know, they, they wanted to experience hardship. So Yuri had doubts. And this was made worse by a rheumatism flare-up, which was causing pain to shoot through his back and legs. The bumpy truck ride taking them to Sector 41, which was their final destination uh, from which they would take the skis.
0: Of course, Sector 41, beloved (laughs) municipality, Sector 41.
1: um, Only made it worse. To the rest of the group, he said he intended to push forward. And this was a very typical Russian way of thinking. Um, He would later say, when we are ill, we think, okay, I'm not (laughs) going to the doctor. I won't lie about it. Maybe we will go away. (laughs) Despite his pain, Yuri forced himself to continue, as the next stop was an abandoned geologic settlement, which he was very excited to see because he was a geology student. There was thick forest all around them, and the only way to traverse the landscape was by skiing up the frozen river, which was not fully frozen and was covered in snow, which meant that they had to scrape slushy ice off their skis with a knife.
0: Oh, Jesus Christ.
1: Eventually, they reached the abandoned geologic settlement where they were able to find one house that was fit for them to spend the night in. In his diary, Doroshenko noted, We found it late at night and guessed the location of the hut only by a hole in ice. Made fire out of boards. Stove is smoking. Some of us hurt our hands on the nails. Everything's okay. And then, after dinner, in a well-heated hut, we were bantering till 3 a.m i really like cute. the fact yeah i know i really like that we have access to their diaries and there's lots of pictures online about mm. their trip it's really um it's just really humanizing you yeah. know what they talk about the, they talk a lot about love and friendship and they take you can see yeah. the pictures they take like uh, literally selfies or uh you know hugging and riding on the back of the truck it's really cute yeah in the morning it became obvious to everyone that yuri was in no state to continue so he turned back 15 miles down the frozen river while the rest of the group continued on northwest.
0: Imagine going back alone 15 miles.
1: And with the bad back and knees. Yeah. yeah. But so Yuri left the group. Yeah. He was not part of this. Okay,
0: so I, I yeah.
1: Mm. Eventually their trek was made easier when they reached an existing path made by skis and reindeer hooves. A telltale sign of Muncie hunters which was confirmed by the Muncie symbols painted on the trees. The hikers wrote in their diaries. The symbols are kind of forest stories. The marks describe animals noticed, stand sites, various indicators, and decoding those marks would be of great interest, both to hikers and to historians.
0: But what are Munsee? Ah, What is that?
1: <laughs> it so happens that I'm going to tell you. So they are a group of indigenous people, which live in the northwest of the Urals. Uh, They are traditionally semi-nomadic, and they base their livelihood on raising reindeer, cattle, and horses, as well as hunting and fishing in the warmer season. Mm. They have a rich folklore, culturally, and the most typical example is the bear cult, which is a celebration in connection to the bear hunt, and which consists of three or four days of songs, dances, and plays. Um, They're also animist. Uh, They have a lot of really cool... Beliefs. Uh, I don't have time to look into it too closely, but it's 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 really cool. I
0: mean, like because I mean, northern Ural's, right? So they're Uralric, I, guess. Yeah. I suppose. So mm-hmm. like it's, it would be the same type of. Uh, I, I would assume that they have some connection to like the Sami people, of mm-hmm. Sweden, for example. I would think um, so too. Bear cult, best religion. <laughs> I'm just saying it, like...
1: Do Sami people have the bear cult, too? Or no, I don't similar? think the
0: Sami people do, but like, I know that, like, some Finnish, mm. like, offshoot of some, like, either the Sami or the people who, or the group, like, before the Sami somewhere, um, like, in modern-day Finland, anyway, there has been bear cults. Mm. Uh, you worship the bear. In, in some capacity. They, because but the in- bear is fucking powerful.
1: But it's interesting, they they worship the bear, but they also hunt bears. So this thing, the celebration that I mentioned, Mm. is like when they hunt a bear, I think if it's a female, they have this party for three days. If it's a male, they have it for four days. Mm. But they do also hunt the bear, so it's interesting. I don't really know exactly how it works, but it's um, it's cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, and I'm not going to sit here and sort of like... Western playing their religions or mm-hmm. anything. But I have I, I so like and obviously it would vary between like variations and stuff like that. But I, I, I know that like in some circumstances that is also like more the spirit of the bear mm. rather than the physical, actual bear in the forest. Mm. Um Fair. and that, that that's a thing that you kinda like. So you can you can still hunt the bear and that's fine, but you still like respect the bear and like you pay reverence to the bear. That doesn't mean you let a bear in your house, you know what I mean?
1: But this is all like their traditional beliefs. Yeah. Um, recently, because of increased expansion of oil and gas fields, the Munsee people have been evacuated forcefully. <sighs> yeah, they face a lot of discrimination, general distrust from the Russian population, and there's also high rates of alcoholism and suicides among the Munsee people. Yeah. The third day of skiing was when the group encountered difficulties. The temperature dropped, and falling snow gradually covered the Mansi tracks. Additionally, the forest began thinning out, the remaining birches and pines shrinking to dwarfish size. The difficult hiking conditions caused tempers to rise, and an argument broke out between Luda and Kolya about who should stitch the holes in the tents. The next day...
0: (laughs) What? It's always someone's got to stitch the holes, and no one wants to do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think this like, came up a few times in the book that they they had to stitch the holes a lot and it was a lot of work because there was a lot of holes and nobody wanted to do Where it. Where were like the why, holes coming from? Why do you have so many holes in the tent?
0: That's the only way to get in and out.
1: <laughs> Every day they're stitching the yeah. the entrance and have to rip it and then stitch it again. Yeah. <laughs> if Zip, only zippers hadn't been zippers invented Zippers hadn't yet. been invented, no.
0: That's a Western, like, decadence.
1: Yeah. Okay, it's, it's gonna start getting spooky from now on.
0: Okay, and now I will try to be now more, we, we a slightly more respectful. Yeah. I've tried to be more respectful yeah, yeah. of like them generally, because yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I know what happens. But like, yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Okay. So the next day, January 31st, was the last day that was documented in the group's journals. Igor wrote that they set out at 10am and that the weather worsened with an aggressive wind blowing from the west. At this point, the group deviated from the river and started making their way up the slope towards the Otorten mountain, which was extremely difficult considering the thick layer of snow, strong winds, and heavy backpacks.
0: I... Okay, come on. The the weather's getting worse. It's getting worse. And you've already been warned that this place is, like, not great, and you're gonna go up the mountain? Yeah, that's a good idea.
1: At 4 p.m., the group was ready to set up for the night, so they went down towards the Auspia Valley, where the wind was weaker and the snow less deep. They ate dinner inside the tent, and Igor wrote what was going to be the group's final diary entry. Oh, God. It's hard to imagine such a cozy place anywhere at the ridge, under the piercing howls of the wind, and hundreds of kilometers from any settlements. The next morning was dedicated to constructing a temporary shelter where the group would store part of their belongings before they would climb to the summit of Mount Otorten. After constructing the storage shelter, they hiked for a short while, but due to the cloud cover, they decided to set up camp early and settled on an east-facing slope, which would allow them to pack quickly in the morning and head straight up the mountain. However, neither of them would see the summit. In fact, neither of them would live to see the sun rise. Jesus. Three days after the group is supposed to return home, the hikers' families are growing increasingly worried. The university's hiking committee, on the other hand, are frustratingly obtuse, refusing to investigate and insisting the delays are routine and mountaineering. Seven days after their appointed return, the university finally caves in to the pressure from the families and organizes a search party, complete with a search helicopter, a group of volunteers from the Polytechnical Institute, and Mansi tribespeople, whose help is essential, as they are most familiar with the mountains.
0: Yeah, they really got the like the, the crew together. Yeah, like the, you know, the, I mean, it's good to got use like crew. local knowledge.
1: The crew, like got you both, together. got helicopter
0: and the locals.
1: By the way, can I do a little tangent? I, I Please do. I didn't know this about. I mean, I don't really know much about planes and, like, search, rescue, Mm -hmm. rescue parties. And I'm sure this is not news for you because you were in the military and, like, you're very familiar with this kind of stuff. I was a
0: cadet. I was not in the military. I want to clarify for the audience. I was not in the military. I was cadet and applicant.
1: So, and I, I don't know if they still do it like this, but the ground and the aerial search party communicated in the following way. The helicopter would attach a note to something brightly colored, like usually red, and then drop it on the party. And it usually would be something that would like flap so they could see it in the sky. And then the ground party would communicate to the aerial team that everything is fine by having two people lie on the ground, like parallel to each other. Or they would have four people lie in the shape of an arrow in the snow, indicating the direction they were headed.
0: I do know that laying on the ground in the shape of an arrow is something that you can still do, yeah, but I have to imagine you can just use a radio,
1: yeah, they were not using radios then, I don't know why they had radios, but I don't know,
0: yeah they might I not f- they might not have been powerful enough, like
1: yeah, for, I like, think
0: multiple people and, like th- out there, like it's yeah
1: here's a, actually I think I do know, um I think at the time, or at least like in the Soviet Union, the radios were really heavy, mm. and like. Uh, just clunky and big so maybe you know especially considering the conditions on the mountain like the search party on the ground could not take it yeah so maybe that's why
0: especially when because you because like if the helicopter is like up like pretty high up like you need significant range it's not like a walkie-talkie that you can just have and you can't just like hop onto like a normal radio frequency because you don't have antennas so I, I guess it makes sense that they mm. would be kind of like big and chunky mm. during 9-11 that was also like a thing actually because like um firefighters also have specific type of radios that are also big and heavy clunky but that's so that they can penetrate uh smoke fire and like thick buildings mm. through like elevator shafts which typically can't do that so fun fact
1: Okay, moving past the the I just I wanted to do a little tangent but let's get back to the search party. The search is slow because the route proposed by Igor to the hiking committee is nowhere to be found. They lost the map. So the start, the search party only has a general idea for where to look. And also because the tracks that the hiking the group left behind had been blown away by the strong winds or covered by heavy snowfall. Yeah.
0: This is like Chernobyl all over again. Chernobyl. Like, they, they, won't, they won't respond to the problem in mm. good time. Mm. And when they do respond to mm. it, they don't have the competence. Like, it's... Come on.
1: Yeah. So at this point, the search party starts to suspect that maybe something has happened. Uh, maybe the group was caught in an avalanche. Possibly at the feet of Mount Otorten. So they decide to head up the slope for a better view of the valley. Before they are able to reach the crest of the hill, they notice a black spot. A tent. They rush down and find that the tent's poles are still standing, but the tarp is collapsed under the weight of recent snowfall. They look inside the tent, the tent is empty, with the exception of carefully arranged personal items, including an ice ax, a flashlight, and food ready for consumption. If it wasn't for the cave den roof, you would've thought that the hikers were there minutes prior. Except the back of the tent had three large slashes, which later are found to have been made from inside. It's as if someone desperately tried to escape the tent.
0: Jesus. From inside? So three slashes from inside, that's spooky.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they like, cause, I, cause I'm imagining they, they could also probably tell that it's from like a recent snowfall. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a snow like like fell on the tent. Mm. Like that's spooky.
1: Looking around the tent for clues, they notice multiple sets of footprints down the slope. Some of them are smaller, as if the person who left them had not been wearing shoes. A mile away, the group notices something strange. Charred, setter boughs sticking out of the snow. They excavate the site and find two male bodies lying side by side. They are not wearing jackets or pants. Neither of them is wearing boots, and only one of them is wearing socks. Their clothes hmm. are also brutally shredded, leaving much of their skin exposed. Hmm... One lies face down in the snow, his arms folded under his head like a pillow. The other lies on his back, his face turned upward. His eyes are gouged out. What? They are Georgie and Doroshenko. What?
0: I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I don't like that. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't fuck with that. <laughs> the eyes are gouged out? That's not. Mm. Well, I mean, I can. I'm, Like, okay, sure, like animals, I guess, like post-death, but like, what the fuck? Could be. That's weird. Okay. Like a mile away, too, with no, like, okay. No clothes?
1: mm. In that weather?
0: Jesus. Okay. Fuck, Jesus.
1: Over the course of the next two months, the bodies of the other seven hikers are found, one by one. They are all barely dressed and barefoot. Some of the hikers also present injuries indicating a violent death. Rustic's face is deeply discolored, as if he received a blunt force to the head. Sasha's body has five fractured ribs, the pathologist concluding that he suffered, and I quote, the effect of a large force, similar to as if he was hit by a motor vehicle while he was still alive. Kolya's mm. body seems to have similarly violent injuries, specifically a fracture of the skull dome and base, causing abundant hemorrhage. Luda's injuries are most alarming. She had sustained massive thoracic damage with severe hemorrhaging, plus fractures to nine of her ribs.
0: Jesus Christ.
1: Additionally, upon examination of her mouth, it is discovered that her tongue is missing. Whether it was cut off, ripped out, or chewed by animals is unclear. If this isn't strange enough, later radiological examination indicates that the hiker's clothes and organs are covered in radioactive material. Much higher levels, than the standard level for people working with radioactive substances.
0: But whole, okay, I have questions. I have so many questions, but I have a few. First of all, why shouldn't they do radiological examinations? Because it's like, I don't. If I if I found like a couple of people brutally like killed, like in the in the wilderness, I wouldn't be like, let's take out the Geiger counter. Mm-hmm. Like like why like?
1: The main investigator ordered it.
0: See, that's suspicious on its own in my mind.
1: They had a lot of injuries. I'm going to talk about this later. Some of their injuries were.
0: raid gun related, and they were like, let's test which type of raid gun.
1: <sighs> no, it's like they had some. Um, some of the injuries were consistent with. like a radiation. toxicity round? that can be caused by radiation
0: what uh, oh yep. that's spooky shit it's... okay because <laughs> <laughs> like oh i God. have a vague memory of hearing about this sort of like story mm-hmm. but like you're telling me so much more like gritty details mm-hmm. and i love it also fucked up but you also said it was like there had been there, there had been no avalanche
1: i'll i'll talk i'll talk about that okay there is a lot of conspiracies
0: okay oh, oh
1: yeah so the clothes are covered in radioactive material when they were found the radioactive material was higher than um the like standard levels for people working with Mm. radioactivity but also keep in mind that they had been outside in the snow running water for two months so this means that when they died or like before they were found the radioactive material was so much higher yeah if this wasn't enough the skin of the hikers is brown and the hair is almost white, as if they had aged decades.
0: No. No. No no no. <laughs> that that part is not true. I refuse to believe that. I don't like that. That is that is witch shit. Mm. That is that is witch shit. They um, encountered a Baba Yaga <laughs> who was like, I will take your this. life essence. Yeah. And they
1: give me your soul. I don't like
0: that. But that's weird because I, like I know that cold like cold fucks up with the skin yeah, a lot. Yeah. Like I know that like the brown skin but I the, can kind of like okay maybe. But it's also but, like, like
1: the hair. The cold, brown, cold don't do that. The brown skin can be explained by something else also. It's but, I'll, I'll, yeah, talk, I'll the, talk about
0: the, the skin is like I'm, I'm not that bothered about this. but the hair yeah. though like cold don't make hair white. Hmm. I don't know.
1: So the injuries are really weird. There is a lot of. Like, conflicting, you know, like, how did they die? Why do they have these weird, you know, the blunt... Like, there's a lot of questions. But what's also alarming is that local party officials are resistant to the bodies being brought back to Yekaterinburg for the burial service and instead insist that they are buried on the spot in the mountains.
0: See, that's... (laughs) See, this is some weird secret Russian they they encountered a weird like soviet black site they were researching some weird like eldritch elder mm-hmm. god magic and they were like no we can't the secret is going to leak out i so, fuck that noise
1: uh, hold on don't don't let me let I'm, me get
0: to it i'm am so, so enraptured <laughs> i'm i'm way more enraptured than i thought it would be
1: see i know i know russian lore was going <laughs> to was gonna hit yeah. for both me and you hopefully also for the <laughs> listeners so according to Yudin who was um like remember he was alive mm-hmm. the guy who left yeah. he was the guy with the health issues yeah. yeah like and also just as a side note imagine the survivors guilt. Gee,
0: yeah god seeing
1: all your friends die in this horrible horrible way but anyway he was there to like help in the investigation and he
0: like he helped plant, like tell where people would go like yeah. that makes sense it makes perfect sense that he would like be part of that
1: yeah Um, And he also contributed a lot to, like, you know, people who later investigated the case, wrote books about it. Like, he also kept in touch, I want to say, or not kept in touch, but he was very helpful. Yeah. um, Also to other investigators. Because I
0: bet he would also like to figure out what the fuck happened. Mm.
1: So according to Yudin, the officials wanted, and I quote, for nobody to come to the funeral, for nobody to show up. Instead, wanting the bodies to be buried as fast as possible without them being shown to anyone. Eventually the local party officials give in and allowed the hikers to be buried in the city with the condition that the bodies are taken directly from the morgue to the cemetery via the least conspicuous route and that they are buried in closed caskets. The families are also not allowed to see the bodies, only Lyuda's father gets to see her, allegedly to see that she was dressed properly. Despite this, thousands of people show up to watch the processions. However, the presence of KGB officials in civilian clothing is hard to ignore.
0: Why? Why? I'm am t- telling you, like they s- they stumbled on Soviet ICBM prototype testing facility in the mountain or some shit. But like, because in my mind, also like other people have gone to that place, right? This is this is this is what's no, fucking with me. But
1: that's but that no. What? No, but no. like
0: they're mm, okay mm, because oh
1: the thing is like these hiking routes they weren't they weren't like we have them in Sweden you know with like markings on the trees like part of why these hiking trips were so encouraged was because not only were they fun and like they taught to discipline whatever but the hikers would also chart out unknown territory mm. so a lot of these routes were like nobody had gone there
0: but i just mean like a- after this event for example like Surely, people have gone to this mountain, for example, after this story has Pro- been out. Yeah,
1: probably. And in my
0: mind, if like if they had if they had like encountered some like like some weird Soviet black site, for example, mm-hmm. where they ex- did experiments on I don't know, like magic m- space missiles to shoot at the U.S. Like some of that you you can still find, right? Because like if you if you build buildings, you have to blast rock, and mm-hmm. that shit's hard to hide.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But, and, but, and I'm assuming that's like, but, but that has never in my mind, at least from what I've heard about the story, that's never been a thing that like other people have, re- have like remarked on. So in my mind, it's like, cause it's still like, Surely it's you just wilderness.
1: It Surely you can clean it up after I don't know.
0: It's, but it's weird though. Like yeah. why is the KGB involved? Like I know that the KGB likes to be like mm-hmm. on kind of small levels and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But like, this is a group of hikers, like they're not, it's not like Khrushchev's son, Hang it, like in this group, you know what I mean? Like, like it's not like the KGB being involved is weird. Yeah. For this for this type of thing. So let me finish mind.
1: up the the story itself, and then we can talk about sure. I'm sorry, what I'm people sorry. what people think happened. Oh. So after the funerals, uh, the lead investigator bows under pressure from his superiors to terminate the criminal investigation. So because they had really violent. Like injuries indicating a violent death, a criminal investigation was opened. Yeah, reasonable. reasonable. Um, But he had had to stop it. And he cited the cause for the hikers' deaths as, and I quote, an unknown compelling force that they could not overcome. Investigation closed, case closed. You could say that
0: about anyone who died.
1: But isn't it also a little bit weird? That that is weird. that, That he had to close the case.
0: Yeah, like, why Why is there pressure from, like, up top to stop the criminal investigation? Like, that's, that's super weird.
1: Then the leadership involved in the organization of the hikes, like, the hiking committee, the university director, you know, people were a bit upset that they allowed them to go in this, like, very difficult territory, so they were either dismissed or admonished, and then the Northern Ural Mountains uh, were closed for hikes for three years, which, I mean, you can't really close them, like, people still went. Yeah. But, um, also, like,
0: there's the indigenous people like live around there, like yeah, yeah, exactly. It's rebuilding, hiding the evidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> isn't it so convenient though that they that the hiking commission lost the map? Yeah, like that's weird, right? Like that's, that's also one very of the weird. few huh? things that like a hiking commission is not supposed to do for isn't safety it, reasons. Isn't it
1: also really weird how they delayed Didn't... looking for them for for seven days?
0: That's why we can't find the evidence because they moved it
1: there. So, obviously, this event I mean, there's so much detail that's missing. There's so much information that's either missing or it's very conflicting. Mm. And then the officials' attempts to draw away attention from the case has led to dozens of conspiracy theories about what actually happened, ranging from weather events to secret military tests to mass hysteria, to aliens. Uh, There's like crazy, crazy conspiracy theories out there. Um, I believe them all. (laughs) Everything happened all at once.
0: All of them are true at the same time.
1: I obviously don't have time to go through everything, but I really recommend looking into this if you're interested. There's like a goldmine of information out there, but I'll go through a few of them. The most obvious explanation is probably in, in Avalanche. And this is what people, like, kind of want to believe. But the area they were in is not an avalanche-prone area. The mountain is, its like, it's not tall. It's Mm. not steep. It is possible that a portion of the upper snow could have shifted and, like, rolled over their tent like a slab. Mm. But examination, first of all, the poles were intact, and they were upright, and there were items around the tent that were also upright, like the axe and the flashlight. Nothing in the tent was actually, Like like... in disorder, everything was really ordered. Mm. So, like, the tent was untouched. And then also um, examination of the footsteps indicates that the hikers descended the hill with ease rather than run away. Oh. So...
0: They weren't, like, they rushing just, to no, get No, the they place. just kind of taking... walked
1: away. They took their time walking away yeah. from it. Another theory is that the Mansi people in the region had been upset by the hikers trespassing into their hunting territory. A Munsee shelter was found 200 feet from the tent, so there could have been an opportunity for something to happen. Plus, the Munsee people are skilled hunters and trekkers and probably could have covered their tracks if they were to blame. But Munsee people are non-violent, and yeah. investigation showed that there are no sacred places in the area that the hikers traversed. You know, like,
0: I, I don't, I, We don't blame the natives.
1: <laughs> There's also one argument against Munsee involvement, which go, which says that like the hiker's property was untouched and if the Muncie were involved then they would have stolen their things i personally find that really racist <laughs>
0: that's kind of offensive
1: <laughs> i know but j- just like overall the, f- the, the 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 argument is like they're non violent people yeah. they they are discriminated but in general they are quite harmonious like with the people in the area well it's not like it's a- not yeah. it's not like it's not really likely Another interesting theory is the formation of a carman vortex street, which happens when winds hit a blunt surface and become warped, leading to the formation of a series of small but powerful tornadoes.
0: Oh, God in heaven.
1: The tornadoes would have created a deafening noise and potentially infrasound, which has a frequency so low that it cannot be picked up by the human ear, instead causing loss of sleep, shortness of breath, and extreme dread and maybe you know about infrasound but it's it's used as crowd control also yeah, and i think if i remember correctly i also read something about how it was used during hitler's speeches to like induce like dread and fear in oh. the audience i, 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 I need to about that one. i need to double check that but i i think i read it somewhere
0: I do know that stores occasionally will use infrasound. Stores? S- stores in the street will use infrasound, um, so that uh, that can only be picked up by young people, so that they don't loiter outside.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Because that's also one of I know that that's one of the versions of that. Like, because you, you, you know when you, you know that like high pitched sound that like you can hear, but only if you're younger than like thirty two yeah. or some shit like yeah. that, and then that I can't hear anymore, but I think you probably can. <laughs> That I think that that's one of one of those. It's just that's just like just on the line. Mm. But then it's like if you just like move the line a little bit, then no one can hear it.
1: Interesting. But
0: okay. yeah, those are those are weird.
1: Yeah. So so the theory is that the formation of the winds f- was simultaneously really loud, and really scary. But also the infrasound would have um, induced the dread in the mm. hikers, who then ran out of the tent and succumbed to hypothermia outside. And this also might explain why they, you know, didn't have clothes. They rushed out of the tent. They, maybe they cut uh, their way out of the tent in a panic. But the footsteps. They were calm. And also the the injuries.
0: They were violent. They
1: were violent. Um, the radioactivity. It was radioactive.
0: <laughs> I don't like this. This yeah. is spooky.
1: There are a few theories based on reports of celestial pulsating orbs observed on the 1st of February by a number of hunters, hikers, and members of Munsee tribes in the area. According to the theory, the campsite was located very close to secret training grounds, and perhaps the Love group witnessed some secret trials or experiments that they weren't supposed to see, oh. and were liquidated by military forces. Supporters of this theory believe that the rescue operation led by officials was a farce. And that a few days before the search party arrived, the military and the KGB removed the bodies and placed them where they were eventually found. And that's why they um, they delayed. That's why the, of- the officials were involved in the rescue party, so they could, like, direct the steps. That's why the KGB was present at the... Home. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's just a theory.
0: It makes sense. But also, like... Because the guy who survived, right? Like he, like he knew the route they were taking, but like yeah. that was part of their route, right? Yeah. So I guess according to the theory, I guess according to the theory, then this theory, like maybe what could have happened is that they kept going, they they did that part, they kept going on the track, then saw something, mm-hmm. and then the 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 military liquidators were like, let's just backtrack them, like. Two days back, yeah. in their in their thing, so that they're still on the same trek. They like delete everything from like their journals and everything. Mm. But like, I guess you could still like see in the journal. Well, I guess they controlled the investigation. Ah.
1: There's a similar theory that the that the group was participating in a scientific experiment of national importance. So they were in oh. on it. Oh, specifically that they were launching radio probes in an isolated area. The probes contained short-lived radioactive isotopes, five uh, sulfur phosphorus. And it is known that meteorological rockets were used in the area, like on the mountain. So the theory states that at some point, a rocket may have collided with the radio sound and spilled the radioactive content. And this theory is attractive because products of uh, certain sulfur compounds disappear from the blood to the point where they cannot be detected during autopsy. And some of the internal injuries of the hikers could have been caused by phosphorus poisoning, like the pulmonary edema, fullness of organs, expansion of the borders of the heart, and darkening of skin. And they also had burns all over, which were also unexplained.
0: So it could be like a freak accident.
1: And then one last one, uh, which is... This one is probably the crazier one.
0: Aliens.
1: (laughs) No, not aliens. Ghosts. Actually, no, never mind. I guess there are crazier ones. The Yeti. It's also... The Yeti is actually one of the theories. But there is a theory that three of the hikers were KGB agents themselves, which had been hired by the KGB to deliver samples of radioactive clothes to American spies. At the last moment, the ploy was busted and Western spies killed the Soviet agents and the rest of the hikers. And the scenario was given rise due to certain details about the hikers themselves. If you remember, there was a 37-year-old who joined the group late. Mm-hmm. He was a veteran with years of experience who fought for the NKVD. Kodevatov one of the guys, before he transferred to the physics technical department of the institute, had worked in Moscow as a laboratory assistant in a top-secret facility, an unnamed atomic institute known as P.O. Box 3394. <laughs> Yuri Krivonoshenko, uh, another member, worked in P.O. Box 40410, where a massive nuclear disaster occurred in 1957. Proponents of this theory hold that it's too big of a coincidence. For these people to end up together, and that there may have been another reason for them taking the trip other than their love of nature and hiking,
0: um, that makes sense. I do also you know, feel like
1: it's a little. Uh, I do feel like Soviet Russia
0: is just full of people who work in top secret projects.
1: <laughs> Everybody's a top secret agent. I mean,
0: if 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 you are not part of a top secret like nuclear program, what someone you in doing? your family is. You know yeah.
1: What I mean? <laughs> so. I do want to add, like, a lot of these later theories, they just, they stank of Soviet paranoia and, like, you, you know, this blood. suspicion that everybody's in with the government and, or, like, involved with the Americans. <laughs> so, I...
0: Everyone was a KGB agent.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's good to take this with a grain of salt. I like that but this is the one you take
0: with a grain of salt.
1: No, everything, everything about you know where the agents, the military, the secret weapons, KGB agents. There, but there are other theories that are crazy in a different way. Like there's some people uh, thinking that they entered the a time vortex. Yes, <laughs> and that's why they looked so aged. Time vortex. Now um, we're talking. Some sort of teleportation experiment yes that's another one perfect um and then yeti of course Yeti. that they did mushrooms and killed each other uh Mm. bad moonshine anyway there's so many so many theories unfortunately none of them seem to fully piece everything together so at this point it's impossible to really know what happened it could have been something as simple as a weather event maybe we don't know what kind yet maybe we haven't discovered the particular weather event or maybe it was something a lot more sinister as former governor of Yekaterinburg, Edward Russell, pointed out in early 2017, information on the Datalov incident remains classified at federal level. Even now, almost 60 years later. So... That's
0: strange, though. Strange. Why still? It's... Why say... Because, like, why is it classified? Because, like, there's a lot of shit from the Soviet yeah. Union that is declassified, mm. like, we know stuff about the Stasi, the NKB, like the, the KGB. We know shit they did in the nineties. Nineties, mm-hmm. like a lot of those archives have opened up. Why not this one? I don't know. Hey Putin, what are you doing?
1: I feel like I go back and forth on this case a lot. Like
0: <laughs> it could be a reasonable thing, but also, but also it's the classified.
1: But also it could have been just like any normal veteran, or also aliens. <laughs> so, anyway, I just wanted to to do this a little little spooky soviet story but it's very sad it's it's super sad these are real people let's be respectful um they were so yeah it's it's fucking sad it's an awful way to go
0: i like to think that we are respectful of like them as victims because like as like they they did seem as like a good like group of friends and obviously it is is a tragic event it is fucked up though Whenever because like it could it could very well be a perfectly reasonable logical answer to what is going on but it's frustrating when people in positions of authority are obtuse mm-hmm. and like refuse to investigate either because they're like in on some weird conspiracy which is what like the mind goes to first mm-hmm. or just because they're lazy pieces of shit who don't want to do their job yeah, you yeah. know like just
1: yeah it's really hard to know why didn't they cooperate why did they want to like hush up the whole thing <sighs>
0: Frustrating. Like, I don't know. A lot of that kind of stuff in Soviet Russia, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, it's there's so much that at some point it's really hard to distinguish between like what is a. It's like the boy who cried wolf, you know. Mm. Is it just constant paranoia, you know? And that's why KGB officials were the burial, or were they there for a good reason this time?
0: I mean, like, and it's the same type of sort of like cultural. mindset that like exists all the way up until like chernobyl mm-hmm. like the same kind of thing happens there too like how much like and there are conspiracy theories about chernobyl too like and there were more until like you know the fall of the soviet union and then we got like more files and now we know everything but like until we knew everything or do we or
1: do we <laughs> next that, episode's episode free <laughs> next episode
0: Chernobyl secret nuclear missile site But with that, I do want to talk about my story now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because oh, I, I
1: was, I was done. I was gonna, I was gonna go. Oh,
0: no, no. Oh yeah. Well,
1: I did my part. I'm done.
0: Okay. <laughs> Goodbye. Now it's just you and me, audience. One could potentially. Uh, one of the explanations for uh, your event was potentially some sort of alien encounter, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You did say orbs. Mm-hmm. Right. Celestial. Which just happens to be a close encounter of the first kind. Uh, I'm not too super sure about the, the different kinds, but whatever, it doesn't matter. That, that that's, could be a close encounter for, for, of the first kind. You did also say that aliens could potentially be responsible for them being something going on. Mm-hmm. Maybe a close encounter of the second kind. Maybe even still a close encounter of the third kind. But my story, dear listeners, and my dear co-host, is the story of the fourth
1: kind. How many kinds are there?
0: Alien abductions. There are 5 kinds in fact. What's the fifth one? I think it's when you fuck an alien. <gasps> I'm not sure actually. I could be so, I could be completely wrong. I'm also completely wrong with like the first and second kinds. I think this I think the second kind is when you see the UFO and the third one is when you have contact.
1: What was the first one? It
0: is when you have information about aliens existing but you don't have visual confirmation. And the second kind is when you do have visual confirmation, Mm. but you haven't made contact. And the third one is when you have made contact. But then the fourth kind is when they take you. (laughs) When they contact you. (laughs) To hook you into tonight's uh, story that I'm going to give to you, we dive right in to the night of September 19th, 1961. Our characters for the story, Betty and Barney Hill. The most sixties names in America you could ever hear. Betty and Barney. Betty and Barney Hill. Betty was a social worker. Barney was a postman, and both were avid civil rights advocates, uh, which makes sense since their marriage was actually illegal in much of the United States in this time uh, because of laws against interracial marriage. Uh, it's not super relevant for this story, but I kind of want to mention some personal details because I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like alien abductions is like their whole thing.
1: Mm-hmm. They had
0: other problems. They had other things going on, you know. Um, (laughs) The two of them were driving home from a vacation trip through the white mountains of New Hampshire when they saw a distant light moving as if it was a falling star. But it was also moving erratically and was getting bigger. They first thought it was an airliner on its way to Montreal, but changed their minds when the light suddenly began speeding towards them Mm. instead.
1: Turn the car around.
0: They stopped their car
1: <laughs> to get out to investigate
0: after a low wall to examine the life better yes because uh, they wanted to see what was up they were like what the fuck what is that they had binoculars and they were looking at it like hmm, what mm-hmm. is that and they also had to walk their dog the, dogs, wait, the dog wait dog, the dog
1: was in the car yeah and then they'd been on vacation oh okay yeah. mm-hmm.
0: so the dog's got to pee it, it don't care about aliens the dog has to pee This light that they were seeing got closer and closer until it flew over their car as a huge disc-shaped craft all lit up. Barney said it looked like a giant pancake.
1: Okay, can I say something? Yeah. If I ever see an UFO, I really hope it's not like... Like Like a flying saucer. Yeah, yeah, like disc-shaped, because I feel like as soon as you tell someone that the UFO you saw was like a flying saucer, they immediately stop taking you seriously.
0: I like. I hope it's
1: a sphere or something, you know, like a square, (laughs) like a cube, cube. like a cube. See that,
0: but here's what I think. I think if there are aliens, I think they're smart enough to 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 sort of like do that
1: specifically. Be a saucer. (laughs) They they make
0: it a saucer. They make the lights spin around it. They they make them. They put on like the gray masks and stuff like that. Whenever someone tells the story, they're like, okay, yeah, yeah." the little antennae. (laughs) 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 They go.
1: No one's going to believe you. (laughs) No
0: one's going to believe you because I did the woo. (laughs) Um, Barney, though, even though he described it as a pancake, he wasn't fucking around. Like, he brought his gun. But as they were looking at this (laughs) pancake-shaped UFO, suddenly they heard a number of beeps. Oh, uh, no. And the light (laughs) vanished without a trace. But when the Hills came home, though, over two hours of time were missing.
1: Mm. It's
0: It's as if something had happened for two hours that none of them remembered. I hate that. And they also started finding things around their house and the car that just didn't make a lot of sense. And they started having strange dreams. They found broken leather straps, strange dust on clothing, and clothes that were being ripped in weird and strange ways. Barney himself also had a weird urge to examine his genitals in the mirror for some reason, but didn't find anything had they just experienced an abduction. Ooh. I'm sure a lot of people in the audience are gonna be like, come on aliens, this is a medical history podcast, we want facts. Well, don't you worry none, because I do actually have a lot of medical history facts here. But I also do want to say that like, I I don't want to be too skeptical of their experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of witness testimony here, and there's a lot of people who have um, like strong, quite strong memories, and we'll get into what kind of what that means. And I kinda want to respect yeah. their experience. We
1: had a conversation about this yeah. before we, we decided on the topic. Like we, we can we can present alternative explanations maybe. These people are convinced that they experience what they experienced and, and which is something very traumatic and we don't want to like dismiss, dismiss that, that yeah. and discard that like it's the silliest thing in the world. Mm. We had to. Yeah. We had to talk.
0: About we had a little talk about that, and mm-hmm. you were a little worried that it was going to be disrespectful. Yeah. But I do want to say here, which I told you as well, that like I am, like I'm a little bit of a believer here. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't want to sort of like <clears throat> disregard like my my, my logical creds. I do want to believe. <laughs> like I, I don't necessarily think that we know all the answers of the mysteries of the universe. Right. Like I have seen some weird videos on the internet that I don't. I, I'm not sure I can explain. I've heard weird stories, I've seen testimony, like I'm, sometimes I read stories and I'm a little bit like, that's weird. Hmm. That doesn't mean I believe like all abduction stories and like that every video of an alien is real, right? Mm.
1: But I'm just saying like, you're not so ready to to dismiss everything.
0: And I will say a reason for this is, is that I have seen a UFO in the technical sense of like an unidentified flying object. I have seen erratic lights flying in the sky
1: twice. Was it a saucer?
0: Just a light okay so like i can't say it's aliens maybe it's a weird bug but like once like in my mind like once you once you've seen that mm. like there's a part of you that's like well like i've seen weird lights flying around in the sky yeah you know like i can't I, now i can't like be dismissive of anyone else saying they've seen light in the sky i do also want to say though real yeah. quickly r- 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 dragging this back to the to the subject at hand which is Gurg- aliens, <laughs> which is so much more serious um <laughs> I do want to say that, like, yes, like, we do want to respect the people involved here, right? And some of them do genuinely have, like, sometimes quite traumatic memories. And we want to respect that. But they are also... But, like, the stories are about aliens, and aliens are kind of silly sometimes. So sometimes they are kind of silly. But I, I, like, I kind of just want to say that occasionally, so so that, like, occasionally when I mention, like, a story or when I talk about, like, an event, it's not us trying to make fun of the people. It's more like... The subject matter—it's a little silly. It's mm-hmm. more gray aliens with antennas on their heads. You know what I mean? And they say silly shit.
1: It's funny. I think it's a fine line to walk because I, I will the... get into
0: details about like yeah. that line, and also the sort of like how the people themselves feel in relation to their experiences. Yeah. Uh, which I th- which is which is sort of like the line that I have adjusted you myself to. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is much stranger and different than I would have thought, actually. So that, I'll, But I'll, I'll get into that kind of stuff. But before we really dig into more about the Hill's case and also some other experiences, we do have to ask ourselves first, and that is, what is an alien abduction? It might sound like an obvious thing to say, that aliens come and grab you, and that's what you remember. But it's, it can be a lot more vague than that. The phenomenon of alien abductions it's basically just what we call the collected... Witness testimony of people who describe being abducted by creatures from another world, typically from space, not always from space, Ooh. but from another world. Let's say,
1: what other worlds are you going to talk about?
0: I'll, I, we'll, we'll probably mention it as we go okay. along, but I will. Because now I'm
1: really curious, what you mean?
0: It, uh, we'll get into a little bit about that, but I will say right off the bat, that's not part of the story. That's like some people. Aren't sure that they come from space, but that they come from an ex- like a parallel dimension, mm. for example, like, kind of like a ghost. Yeah, that them traveling is not them traveling from another star system to us, but rather from their like plane of existence into ours. That's crazy. Which is another reason potentially that they could come. You know what I mean? Like they don't have to come from Mars necessarily. You know. And victims, oh, yeah.
1: I just, I love how this is the episode when we're both coming out as conspiracy theorists, yeah. uh, foil on head people, and also oh, have, fans of the paranormal. Do you want to bring foil? I'm, I'm going to make a foil hat. I'm going to make a foil hat can, so. can you make me a foil hat? Do half? you want a foil hat? Wait, half? just yeah. bring the whole foil. I'll bring the foil
0: <laughs> But first, we have to ask ourselves what is an alien abduction? like where where was I I don't remember we made hats and the alien abduction is what we call the experience among those who claim to have been abducted by aliens from another world but not necessarily from space as some people have theories that they could come from extra-dimensional origins potentially and that them traveling in spacecraft are not actually from different solar systems but rather from our plane of existence to theirs and back.
1: I can't really focus on what you're saying with the tinfoil hat. It's gonna hat. be
0: great. It's gonna be so good. This is the best segment to have a tinfoil hat on. Victims or witnesses, depending on how you want to describe them. they this is actually like a little controversial apparently in like the alien space. Some people mm-hmm. don't want to call them victims because they don't mm-hmm. think they've been actual victims of a thing. But I'm gonna call them victims because that's a lot of them that's what they believe they are. I'm not gonna a lot of them. I'm okay. not gonna discredit them, you know what I mean? Victims describe Vivid but confusing memories of seeing creatures with strange proportions, prodding them with medical instruments, making them do tests and implanting chips in their brains. Interviewing them for all sorts of information using telepathy. And, uh, you know, the famous probe. Which is not actually like what people joke that it is. It is just that they they, they take physical samples from you.
1: Well, how do you know? Have you ever been abducted?
0: No, but that's what, that's what, that's what the people who have been abducted tell me. And I trust them because they've been to space. <laughs> Alien abductions as a phenomenon have been reported since around the 1950s, roughly. Uh, before this, they haven't really been common like mm-hmm. at all, which we'll, we'll get into the, why that's a little strange. Uh, but there have, of course, been like tales and legends of outerworldly creatures coming to steal you away in, in the night uh, that have existed for much, much longer. Um, But the alien abduction narrative, as a sort of like folkloric tale, compared to like pixies and demons and stuff like that, does stand out for a few reasons that I'll get into later. To start us off in that quest, I do want to begin with the history of it all, to sort of set the context of where and how the Hills got abducted. And we're gonna wind the clock back a couple of more decades, because People typically refer to like the craze of aliens now as kind of having begun in the 50s and 60s and 70s and stuff like that. Like during the Cold War and during the Space Age and humans going to space and to the moon and things like that. But it's it's a bit more complicated than it might seem. To start setting that context, I do want to start us off in a few decades previous. And that is a story of maybe the first ever alien abduction attempt. Mm Mm-hmm. That is the story of Colonel H.G. Shaw of Stockton, California in 1896 as reported by the Stockton Daily Mail. Around the same time, there had been strange sightings of a massive airship by thousands of people all over the United States who were clearly denizens of Mars or Venus coming to visit. Uh, What do you mean clearly? Ah, during this time, I'm (laughs) glad you asked, during this time... It was not unusual for a lot of people to think that the other planets in our solar system were just as teeming with intelligent life as Earth was. Earth is a planet, we know we have other planets. Reasonable to think that they would be like ours. So the idea of like aliens from Mars kind of comes from this time as an actual real belief and not just something that exists in like 1950s like science fiction pulp. Novels. It's like, people actually believe this kind of stuff. So, in this context then, Colonel Shaw didn't want to come across as someone who exaggerates his story, uh, saying he didn't want to be seen as a romancer or as a man who had looked upon shoestring when it was read. Whatever the fuck that means in 1890s lingo. If someone knows, please let me know. I'm dying to know what it means. And I will read you a selection of the reporting of the event. I was riding in quest of material to form an exhibit to represent this county at the Fresno Citrus Fair. Which is, it's, 19th, it's the 19th century, everyone's having fairs. Um, we're jogging along quietly, when the horse stopped suddenly and gave a snort of terror. Looking up, we beheld three strange beings. They resembled humans in many respects, but still they were not like anything I had ever seen. They were nearly or quite seven feet high and very slender. When we saw we were being regarded more with an air of curiosity than anything else, we concluded to get out and investigate. I walked up to where the strange-looking persons were and addressed them. I asked where they were from. They seemed to not understand me, but began, well, warbling, expresses it better than talking. Their remarks, if such you would call them, were addressed to each other and sounded like a monotonous chant, included to be guttural. I saw it was no use to attempt a conversation, so I satisfied myself with watching and examining them. <laughs> Which I love, like imagining two aliens, like I'm looking at you and you're like, no, oh, look at you, you're interesting to me. <laughs> they seemed to take great interest in our horse and buggy and scrutinized everything very carefully.
1: Girl, that horse was probably climbing on the walls at that point. Horses are scared of their own shadow. Can you imagine?
0: Two aliens?
1: Like two seven-foot...
0: Gangly aliens? Gangly
1: aliens that don't smell like anything they've ever smelled before.
0: I noticed that their hands were quite small, and that their fingers were without nails. Their feet, however, were nearly twice as long as those of an ordinary man, though they were also narrow and the toes were also long and slender
1: they weren't wearing shoes apparently not hmm.
0: and also um, they, appar- they like I also cut this part but now that you have asked about sh- toes and feet and shoes they apparently they did use their feet more than their hands like a monkey would what do and they, they would do prefer with the hands? to use their feet
1: what do they use the hands for to also do that stuff with
0: but like they could do Preferably it with both. the, f- the they, feet they they would prefer the feet okay <laughs> as one of them came close to me I reached out to touch him, and placing my hand under his elbow, pressed gently upwards, and lo and behold, I lifted him from the ground with scarcely an effort. It was then I observed skinny.
1: him. <laughs> it... So you think I'm skinny.
0: so. It was then that I observed him try to grasp the earth with his toes to prevent my lifting him. <laughs> it's like trying to hold on to the earth. What? I do not want you to get the idea that these creatures were hideous. They were markably the contrary. They possessed a strange and indescribable beauty. They were graceful to a degree, and more divinely beautiful than anything I have ever beheld. Finally they became tired of examining us and our horse and buggy, and then one of them, at a signal from one who appeared to be the leader, attempted to lift me, probably with the intention of carrying me away. Although I made not the slightest resistance, he could not move me. And finally, the three of them tried it without the slightest success.
1: To even lift nerd?
0: I love the idea like an alien just tries to get you. Can't. Three of them just like... This is more of a fun story than anything else. But I want to give you sort of the impression that like aliens are not a new thing. Yeah. uh, In like the public consciousness uh, when the hills are abducted. 70 years later like mm. we we've, we've been new about aliens. <laughs> and there are all sorts of alien encounters, but the rest of my segment is going to be more specifically focused on like the abduction part. What happens during an abduction, you may ask. Famously, they probe their victims like we kind of mentioned, but that's again like they take physical samples of them, but they do follow a very strict Sequence of events during their abductions. So, across basically all abduction stories, there is a very strict narrative that very rarely deviates from one another. And that's one of the ways it actually stands out from a lot of other folklore because it doesn't have to be that strict. People can just, if people were making up stories, they could make them up however they wanted. And there are a few steps, and not every abduction story contains every single step, but most of them do. And the steps are as follows Number one, capture. Strange beings seize and take the witness aboard their craft. The first part is that the witness enters a space where the laws of physics fail Hmm. and stop making sense. And suddenly, a space of time, when time perception becomes basically impossible. Like, they they can't keep track of time. They can't count the seconds. They can't count the seconds. can't count seconds. And they become mentally impaired. (laughs) Like, people describe becoming sort of like unable to, to do the things that they would normally be able to do. And mm-hmm. then, the last step of that is an alien comes and grabs you. Or fails to, in the case of Colonel Shaw. Uh, they hadn't figured out those steps yet by that point, I guess, when they tried to gear him. Step two is examination, uh, which is the, when the beings subject the witness to physical and mental examination. And this is the most famous part of an alien deduction. And the procedures here move from the general to the specifics as the beings first subject the witness to manual exploration, then might use an eye-like scanning device, and next they use instruments to probe the body. They take specimens of skin, blood, other bodily fluids, uh, they examine the reproductive areas, and then they turn their attention to the neurological system, and occasionally do a little implantation in the brain with a little chip. The third stage is a conference stage, and this is where the aliens talk to you, often using telepathy, and interviewing you and asking you questions about all sorts of things, about your life, about your relationships, about the world, who's the president, like like both things that you would like expect an alien to ask, but also things you wouldn't expect an alien to ask. Like what's your dog's favorite food?
1: Do you think the alien goes back to the other ones and talks shit about you?
0: Oh, for sure they do. <laughs> so this the... fucking human.
1: <laughs> Doesn't have a girlfriend. <laughs> gets no bitches.
0: (laughs) I will say, though, that this stage can also be a little scary. Yeah. um, Because there is a stage here uh, that is less common, but does also occasionally happen, where the aliens kind of show off, like, a childlike creature that doesn't look like you, like a human, or the aliens. Oh. But a weird mix of the two.
1: I, mm, um, I don't like... And this I already, is called, already, like, yeah. the, the absence of physical laws. Like, you lost me there. Like, at oh, that yeah. point, I would be screaming, crying, throwing up. Oh, yeah. Then they bring out the alien-human hybrid.
0: That's true. It's called the child hybrid stage.
1: Huh. <laughs> I hate this.
0: It's very uncomfortable, I yeah. imagine. But we'll get into how uncomfortable it is for the people in a while, Mm -hmm. actually. Uh, It might surprise you. Stage four, though, is tour, uh, which is where the beings show the witness around the ship. They give them a little tour. How
1: nice of them. I
0: know, right? They can show them around their ship, sometimes their base, like if they have a little city on the moon, for example, uh, or a whole city. Maybe they're even their home planet.
1: Do you know, can I say something? I feel like that could either be reassuring or very terrifying. Like, you know how in movies, the villain tells you their plan before mm. they kill you because you're going to die anyway, so you yeah. might as well know.
0: Like them showing you around the city. It's like,
1: yeah. you're not going to live to tell anyone about this. So I feel I feel like actually this would be very scary.
0: It could be. I can imagine.
1: Hmm. Are the aliens usually described to be the same?
0: Um, that is interesting. I did not include that part in the story because my, my story is quite long. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are multiple kinds of aliens, mm-hmm. uh, but, but there are a few subtypes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the classic gray aliens, uh, mm-hmm. and I'll actually mention those. The tall, those skinny. A
1: little,
0: they're a little short, actually. Okay. Uh, they're they're typically described as kind of short. They have gray skin, big eyes, big head, small ears. Okay. Uh, then then there's the reptilians.
1: Oh. Lizards. Oh the the reptilians. The, the yes, lizard that's, people. That's yeah. The, that's the spooky one.
0: Those are those are I will say they are typically described as a slightly more spooky. Mm-hmm. Uh, the greys sort are of the spookiest. Really, they are
1: the, the small gray ones. They are, they are the, the most uncomfortable ones. Really? Yeah. Do they say why? Uh, no,
0: I mean, like, I, I'll get into some of it a little bit later. I'm not going to spoil too much, but okay. uh, there's it's just the, a bad th- vibe. there might be a re- yeah. There's a bad vibe.
1: There's a little Ooh. uncanny
0: valley energy there too. A lizard because no. like a lizard, that's a lizard man. But an uncanny, but like a gray kind of short person with big know. eyes, like that's a little like that's weird, a little in a way. But then there's a third subtype. Mm. There's so many other subtypes, but like these are the three main. Um, there's also the Nordics, which are just described as Swedish tall, <laughs> blonde, like athletic.
1: Mia, yeah, are you an alien? <laughs> it's just
0: Swedes. It's just Swedes. That's it's weird,
1: but like what? That
0: yeah, so weird. Tall, blonde.
1: That freaks me out humans, a little
0: bit. Very human-like.
1: Where are you taking me?
0: <laughs> I know, right?
1: Is our Sven, apartment? Where are you going? Is our apartment a ship?
0: <laughs> Close it down, folks. <laughs>
1: Wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up. Alien language. But the reptilian, I'm still not over the reptilians. I didn't know that was like a major category of aliens.
0: It's not super major, but it's up there.
1: Do you know those um, meme images of Zuckerberg being a... Yes. Like a lizard person? Yeah. Freaks me out.
0: I will say, though, that there is a difference between sort of like the conspiracy theory alien uh, subtypes okay, okay. and the alien abduction alien subtypes because like there are conspiracy theories that, are, that go like there are lizard people among us right mm-hmm. them and the witness testimony from alien abductees don't overlap okay like they're they are kind of different the conspiracy theorists sometimes draw inspiration from abductees but the abductees draw inspiration just from themselves and don't oftentimes like don't want to associate at all with like the conspiracy theorists
1: I mean, who would? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Do you know what I mean.
0: But I'm just saying, those like they have different categorization. Okay. Uh, but I'm I'm still I'm, i have I have a few more stages left of the abduction cycle. Okay. And I will say that like all of these stages, one after the other, m- almost never another order. Okay. They like, and this is, this is something that like a lot of people feel re- think is really weird. Like even They're skeptics. Like almost as if they were following a laboratory protocol. The fifth stage is theophany which is an encounter with a divine being, sometimes, like that's how it's referred to like in more classical lore, but in, for us, it mostly refers to either encountering kind of a divine being or feeling like you have, uh, feeling an overjoying feeling, feeling like a sense of connectedness with the universe and with yourself and with the world and everyone around you. You feel happy, you feel contented, you feel like you're on drugs. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, I've heard people say that it feels like being on Molly. But that, but that is a stage of it, like, in, near the end. Like, mm-hmm. they just get, like, an overwhelming sense of, like, ah, nice. <laughs> stage six is the return. They mm-hmm. open the door, kick you out. <laughs> Witness goes back to Earth, leaves the ship, and tries to go back to normal. And then stage seven is the aftermath stage. You'd think here, right, and this is where a lot of people make the mistake, uh, they You'd think that's like the story when people recount their alien abduction stories. it ends at the return. The abduction is over. the alien's left, but that's not the end of the story. Everyone almost like wants to focus more on them having to deal with their experience, which is another thing that makes it stand out from like folkloric tales of similar like demons coming in there to grab you. Mm. The story doesn't end and they don't want it to end at the return. They yeah. want to talk about sort of like, no, I had to sort of figure out the memories and I had to yeah. sort of cope with it. And like, but for that's sure. a weird ending for, that's not a folklore then. That's just yeah. The trauma. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: No, but for sure, I get that. I was completely expecting that to be a thing that like, this happens to you. Of course, good. you know, yeah. enjoy thinking about this for the rest of your life. Like mm-hmm. this, this will change the trajectory of your life it,
0: moving forward. And indeed Many people who study an abduction say that, that that what you just said a change like a, tr- a life trajectory change is the most foundational part of all abduction stories. Everyone who's had it feel like it's been a massive change in their life. You start a transformative event. You
1: start questioning your relationships, your job. You're like, fuck.
0: People do. People. People. <laughs> what do. am I
1: doing with my life? <laughs> <They're not>
0: like, <laughs> legitimately, people do. This is like yeah. for for nothing else. This is almost always described as sort of like. People change Mm. from from a story like this. Even Mm. if it has a natural explanation, like something's happening here that changes people on a very deep level. And that is something that like that's kind of difficult to do, right? Now, most of the stages that I've just mentioned, most of those happened to what the Hills experienced when they were driving home from from their vacation. They experienced every step except tour and theophany and the child hybrid stage. But those steps do feature in some other experiences, as I mentioned. The Hill story and a great number of stories also feature a sexual undertone, which is sometimes, surprisingly often, wholesome fun. You'd think it would be like kind of scary, and some of them are. I'm not going to like discount the fact that like some of them are not, the vibes are bad. Yeah. So, like in that sense. But most, in fact, are fine. Wholesome fun. Or not necessarily fun, but like most people don't describe themselves feeling a negative experience from it, yeah. or that, or they don't feel violated. They, 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 like they don't feel like something negatives happened to them in yeah. that sense. Do and sometimes think... that's just regarding like they 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 poke your dick a little bit. Sometimes they steal your sperm or eggs. They do that apparently. Well, um, you
1: gotta get the hybrid baby, some.
0: Gotta get the hybrid baby. Uh, and then and then some in some cases it's, it's like you like yeah you fuck alien. <laughs> You, you have think... a, you have a nice sexual encounter with the alien. I'm consensually.
1: I'm I'm going to be so nasty about it, but <laughs> I kind of want like read about do you think like do you think the dick is good? Do you think it's <laughs> do you think it's fun like
0: It's like you know it's got to be high tech dick. <laughs> you know what I mean? If they can travel star systems, like they, that imagine... their sex toys must be immaculate.
1: Imagine fucking an alien and it's disappointing. I
0: mean, you would still, I mean, still fuck an alien, right? Like, you, sometimes. No matter som- how bad the sex is, sometimes you like fuck so- someone just to have, fuck them, you know what I mean? Like, just to be part of yourself.
1: Yeah, but still, can you imagine, like, rolling over and it's the like, alien oh. is like, you want to get brick?" And you're like, no. I want to go home. I want to go home. Drop me off. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Yeah. The alien just embarrasses their entire, like, nation. <laughs> Oh no!
0: <laughs> it's a rite of passage for the reptilians of Mars. Actually, they have to go and they have to satisfy a human. Yeah. And if they fail, they never become an adult. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. But this is also one of the reasons, for example, that why Barney uh, examined his genitals in the mirror. For example, like mm. they, like
1: it's so weird how yeah. he has like an urge to do, like a drive to do it, but he doesn't know why.
0: Yeah because at this stage when he does that they don't they don't think it's aliens no they they suspect they're like oh could be aliens but like they're just like oh some weird shit's going on we saw weird land and some weird shit's going on like their first thought is not we have been abducted by aliens
1: that is not where they go i'm also a little bit stuck on this um this thing that you said that like two hours were missing Mm -hmm. because you often hear that in the context of like a glitch in the matrix where's my where is my hat (laughs) Pass me my hat (laughs)
0: I'm going to focus like primarily on the hills, like on their abduction specifically, because it does become the norm after it becomes public of what we think of as the alien abductions. Mm-hmm. But also, like kind of how we think about aliens in general, like their abduction is kind of what defines a little bit like how we think of aliens and alien abductions uh, in in popular culture. And right when the Hills came home from that event, right, I told you a little bit what happened. They did have some strange impulses. Barney wanted to check his dick out, for example. Betty, though, she had a strange impulse to keep all of their luggage near the back door of the house with the door unlocked instead of, like, just in, in the unlock. house, like, in the normal part of their house and just being like going to bed as normal people.
1: So, so like she, she, she was keeping him by the door with the door unlocked, like ready to go, again.
0: Well, she didn't know the purpose because, like, she said that she didn't know why.
1: But does she, does she unpack?
0: Yeah, the next day. Yeah.
1: Okay. Interesting.
0: So, like, the, the, it's like they never gave they, they never in interviews and things like that. They never said that they had a reason for these impulses. No, no. But
1: what if like the aliens, like?
0: <laughs> yeah, could. <laughs> The aliens
1: What if if the aliens Like put that in their head That don't unpack your luggage Keep it by the back door Leave the door open In like in case we want to come and pick you up Maybe Maybe that's why she wanted to keep it Maybe But she didn't know But they put that in her head Quite possible But why would he be checking his dick out
0: Who knows That's what they wanted Yeah Aliens want you to check your dick out (laughs) Um (laughs) <laughs> I love this bit <laughs> but in the nights that followed though after they had come back they did start also just noticing more strange things as I kind of said and Betty specifically would have extraordinarily vivid and expressive dreams which she had not had before mm-hmm. and, like, every, and they were coming every single night and Barney kept finding uh, the leather strap of his binocular bag had been broken he did not remember breaking it and neither did Betty. And it was, like, a nice bag, too. So, like, you, you, you know when it <clears throat> that breaks.
1: That sucks. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he can send a factura <laughs> to the aliens.
0: Uh, Reimburse me. Also, the toes of his best dress shoes were scraped. You notice that kind of stuff. Mm. Like, if you have dress shoes, you, you 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 take care of them and you don't want to get them scraped. Betty had also found that her dress uh, had been ripped in all manner of places and had a pink powder, like, strewn all over it. And when she put it up to hang... in in the garden to dry after I wash, the dust just flew away. Mm
1: -hmm. Even
0: though it did not get off in the wash. But in the wind, it just... like This shit's freaky. This happens to you, you're scared. And they, much like you perhaps would, uh, sought psychiatric help for this. And this was in 1961. Regressive hypnosis was all the rage. And using this hypnosis, the Hills could unearth those two lost hours of their memory. And they described a series of outerworldly events, which included being stopped by a roadblock, manned by short creatures with large eyes and heads who had ashen skin. The typical grey aliens. Barney claimed to have seen eight to seven humanoid figures inside of the craft itself, who were peering out of the craft's windows, seeming to look at him. And one figure looked at Barney and communicated a message telling him to stay where you are and keep looking. Barney had a recollection of observing the humanoid forms wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps.
1: Okay, so they wear wear clothes.
0: They were clothes. They were, okay. These ones were.
1: Not the tall ones.
0: Not the ones from 1800s. They were like, we gotta wear clothes. These people wear clothes. (laughs) We come to Earth, they wear shit on their bodies. (laughs) They They
1: got embarrassed, went home. (laughs) (laughs) Invented.
0: We couldn't the lift office. a guy, we were naked apparently, like, god damn, we got <laughs> So embarrassing. So embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> they also recalled a medical examination by the aliens. After this medical examination, the leader conversed for a while with Betty about all sorts of things, using telepathy, before the- releasing them both to continue on their drive. All memories of the past two hours of the experience faded at the sound of the beeps until the nightmares and hypnosis restored the memories again. She and Barney were taken to their car, and then they had a telepathic message that they should wait to watch the crafts leaving, which they did, and then they could leave. And then they would continue on, on, home on their drive, and mm. then forgot everything. Now I know what you're saying. Mia, this is silly. We've seen the alien movies. We've all seen the people camping outside Area 51, selling their glow-in-the-dark alien junk. Surely they're making it all up, or they're crazy the two most common explanations. But this is not a silly story, because when abductees who describe their events as traumatic are examined, they do seem to have actual trauma of the events and have real physiological reactions to that effect during testing, even if most abductees do have experiences that they would describe as pleasant. Because you can do certain types of like trauma testing. Basically, you record a patient recounting their events, and then you play that recording back to them and you measure like their heart rate, you measure like those kind of measures and you do see that they have a stress response. This is a quote from uh, Dr. Richard McNally, a professor of psychology who did a study on six women and four men who claimed they had been spirited away by extraterrestrials, some of them more than once. Under hypnosis, seven of the ten reported having their sperm or eggs extracted for breeding purposes or expressing direct sexual contact with the space aliens and real physiological stress responses when subject to audio recordings of their own testimony. So then here's the quote. Objectees react emotionally like people who have real-world memories of combat, abuse, and near-death encounters, but most of them are glad they had contact with extraterrestrials. Some say they feel pleased to have been chosen to take part in hybrid breeding programs. Most of them, says McNally, ultimately interpret their experience as spiritually transforming. That doesn't necessarily mean their experiences are real, but it does go against the idea that they're making it all up intentionally. And several studies have also shown that abductees do not have any higher prevalence for mental illness than any non-abductee around, like mm. any other person. Like they are just as likely to, make, to be delusional as anyone else. They do also come from all sorts of life, all academic backgrounds, all social circles, from cities, from small towns... They come from everywhere. There's no like specific group that is like noticeably more targeted. The only thing that seems to select for these experiences is geography because most abductions happened in the Americas, mostly North America, but there's a fair few in South America as well. There were three in the Soviet Union. And let's not forget for those skeptics out there that alien abductions only really became a common narrative in the 60s after the story of the hills became a major news story. Skeptics will sometimes point out that like alien abductions are like a result of like Cold War fears and space technology and like ICBMs becoming a thing and uh, things like that. But as I mentioned with the Colonel Shaw story, aliens have been around for over a hundred years in the public consciousness. We've talked about aliens. Alien abduction narratives kind of have also existed. Like they tried to grab Shaw. So it's weird that only now in recent times the alien abduction become like a major narrative. Surely they would have existed before when aliens were seen as a much more accepted part of yeah. the space cosmology. In, in fact, even, like, you might even say that it's strangely late because the Roswell incident, where, like, legends say that a spacecraft crashed in Roswell, New Mexico, in 1947, that happened 20 years before the hills. So mm-hmm. it's still 20 years of, like, Cold War aliens spacecraft crashing like on Earth, they're here, they're getting us twenty years until the hills get abducted, and then it becomes like a like a media thing. That's interesting, right? Strange coincidence or the sign of alien experiments entering a new phase. There is another explanation, and that is one of trauma and storytelling. A couple of neuroscientists have examined a fair number of stories from abductees, compared their experiences across other type of sensorial issues in the brain, and they found a strong overlap in some cases with the phenomenon of people who wake up during anesthesia, like during surgery, and they wake up, but they can't move, they can't react, because the anesthetic is still working, but they're awake. Fun thing that happens during that, during that event. Uh, this phenomenon is called anesthesia awareness, and it does share a lot of elements with an alien abduction. For example, most people who it happens to don't remember it. I and mean, people do have weirder dreams afterwards, have a hard time experiencing time. And it is also a traumatic event. Also-
1: Waking up during anesthesia, you mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because you don't like wake up like, oh, you just like, they the doctors can't tell. It's really scary. I'm really afraid of it. And another similarity is that, like, the memories described by abductees include, like, laying on a table, seeing short creatures around you, poking and prodding you with medical instruments. There's usually, like, a light hanging right above you mm. that is typically circular, uh, that is shining right at you. There's a lot of, like, elements here that, like, make sense in an alien narrative. They also wear strange clothing. They sometimes have like glasses that like make their eyes look bigger. They don't look really human because they have the masks on, so you can't see their mouth moving, so they can talk through telep- telepathy. And so the idea here is that what could happen in some cases of alien abductees is that they are recounting being woken up during surgery or during dentistry, which is also like a similar like situation, having a traumatic event, but not knowing that it, ha- it has happened. And so their minds start filling in the gaps to sort Mm -hmm. of like make sense of that story. Because Mm -hmm. the mind is amazing. Like it will fill in the gaps. It'll make shit up all the time just so it makes sense for you. And that could be an explanation. And in some cases, uh, talking to abductees, they have found that this was actually the case. Like they've talked to some people and they were like, okay, well, let's talk about like, how do you feel? Why do you feel fear regarding these certain like concepts? Uh, what is going on and the thing that really became like the thing that broke the story for for the scientists who did the study was that one of the abductees said that one of his greatest fears was being operated on and then they were like but you have been operated on like you you've had this um like a like a like a surgery in the mouth and he was like oh yeah i did have that and then it was like Let's investigate that. And then it was just like, yeah, he, he probably woke up during an anesthetic, had a real traumatic event, did remember it afterwards. And then, can't, you know, you can't move. The laws of physics don't really make sense. And also because the table is also raised, like the people around you can also appear quite short. Like, it mm. makes a lot of sense, right? Mm. And that explains a few people. But there's a far bigger number of abductees who have never had surgery.
1: Yeah, I'm just. Right? I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Like, that's a really it sounds like a very simple explanation mm-hmm. that wouldn't cover everyone.
0: Right? Like that. That is. Uh, that that's. It's weird. Like it. it can, it's not a perfect answer. It, it, it does probably answer some. Another perspective is that the Hills were expressing a subconscious frustration with the slow pace of the civil rights movement, because they were both civil rights activists. They were an interracial couple. And that this was, yeah, like an, an an expression of their frustration with that, and that's why the aliens had gray skin, which is like neither black nor white, but somewhere in between. Uh, it's maybe why like the uniform were mentioned, like the black cap and the black clothes of the aliens in the craft. Um, they were stopped at like a at like a roadblock, which is all that very like cop thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It could be an expression of that kind of trauma, like racial trauma. But I will say here that, like Betty, Betty and Barney. Uh, first of all, Barney smart smart as a whip, by the way, because he was in the military. They do IQ tests. He had an IQ of one hundred and forty. He like this this guy was smart as shit, and so was she. But she didn't have a fake IQ, a f- fake intelligence <laughs> test to sort of to fake intelligence points to determine that. But everyone said that like she was as smart as she was as smart as he was. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, it's like. If they wanted to say something about, like, race,
1: they would say they
0: would say that. Yeah. And I think that they would also have been smart enough to sort of, like, go, like, this could be a manifestation of the thing I'm working with, yeah. civil rights, instead of going like, aliens, like, it's such a leap, like, they're not this, fucking around here, yeah. it's not like vagueness, they're very specific. Yeah,
1: yeah you heard the man, they got abducted by <laughs> aliens, <laughs> it's not about racism.
0: And they did also both say that, like, it's... It's aliens. Yeah. Until the day they died, they were like, no, it's aliens. (laughs) But if it's not delusion, what's going on? If it's not them making it up because they clearly have a real thing, what's going on? Well, maybe, some people say, that they make it up to be interesting, to become famous, to make money, right? Mm -hmm. That's also another sort of like aspect to the whole shebang. But the hills, for example, made no effort to be famous for their story. They did become famous, but they made no effort to do that. They only told pers- like close personal friends about this experience. And they, uh, immediately after the event, they reported seeing the craft to the Air Force, being like, hey, we saw some weird shit in the sky, what's going on? Didn't call the media, didn't seek out like public attention whatsoever. And they only became famous after a lecture on hypnosis four years after the event was recorded on an audio tape and leaked to the press. And then it became like a whole big news story and then they became famous. Um, but they they never wanted to do that. In a similar vein, they, ne- they didn't jump to the idea that it could be aliens immediately. Like, Betty did suspect that like, it's a weird light in the sky, maybe it could be aliens. But that is not like the first thing you think about when you see a weird light in the sky. And Barney did not believe in the hypnosis bit. Like, he did not think that this was going to work. He also didn't really think it was aliens. Like, Betty was more into that than he was. And it was only until they both got hypnotized that he was like, holy shit, it's aliens. And he became a full ball believer. Like, did not believe in it, did not... Like, he became convinced by unearthing his own memories. And there is actually an audio recording of him. I had a hard time finding it. I didn't actually find it. Um, <laughs> I had such a hard time, didn't do it. Uh, but it's it's a quite scary, like... Audio tape, because it sounds like real primal fear Mm -hmm. in in a guy that sounds like James Earl Jones. It's it's really terrifying, actually. Like him recounting sort of like the experience.
1: This is so interesting because everything else I've heard about abductions has been similar, where the person really sounds like they experienced something very scary that they have to deal with for the rest of their lives. And I think I think that. you know, you could make the argument that y- people can also convince themselves that something really traumatic happened. For sure. So maybe the fear was real, but the event was not. Yeah. Like, that is an argument. But... For f- sure. That That's also been my experience, that, like, people usually do not seem to have had a good time, to want to experience this, to, like, want the attention.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, what, like, just as you say, like, and this is the thing I think a lot of people kind of don't get when it comes comes to alien abductions. That's like the fear is real. Mm. Like the people who experience these things, even like we don't know what's going on. And as you say, the, the event might not have been real, but they have gone through something. Mm. And whatever that is, is still something to respect. Mm. Uh, you know what I mean? But unfortunately, despite all of this, we do only have testimony, right? Like we, we don't have physical evidence. We don't have an alien. We don't have a spit. We don't have a spaceship. We don't have the ray gun. You know what I mean? Like that would have been nice evidence to have, but we don't have it. We only have memories and vague dreams and testimony, Mm -hmm. which is unfortunate uh, because they could still be making things up. They could be doing all sorts of things. But if only there were like other types of evidence that we could still have, even without physical evidence, like for example, hidden recordings of the abductees to sort of like catch them if they're trying to do a hoax and like see how they're actually talking about it. Uh, Or like polygraph testing to see if like they're how they're doing in that.
1: Polygraph testing is fake.
0: It's unreliable. It It is dangerous. I I mean, yes, it is fake. I mean, yes, I know. The it is it's not it's not reliable. It's not fake, but it is not reliable testimony. I will say, it's it's a it's a a spooky sort podcast, but it's true that you're pointing it out. Um, I'm not
1: letting you get away with that one. That's
0: that's a good point. That's good. That's very true. But there is a case that I think is quite relevant. It's a, there's a very short story that I'm just going to have here close to the end mm-hmm. uh, because the Hills' story happened. They became quite famous, and we have heard like other stories, for example, like throughout history. Uh, I'm not going to bring up all of them because there are thousands of them. But there is also this idea that that a lot of people do want to become famous, and like even with the Hills, for example, like. Oh, it leaked to the media, but maybe they leaked it to the media, you know what I mean? Like so it's like, yeah. you're okay. But I wanna talk about quickly about the Pascagoula abduction of 1973, which has some other conditions relating to it, which might have you think a little bit. And also I think gives you a very good insight into how these experiences actually are. Because when I'm describing it, it sounds quite almost photographic. Like you have a very clear memory and picture in front of you what's happening but when you're recounting memories it's a lot more unclear and it's mixed up together and i think that this is going to show in this case for example so in 1973 uh, two men charles hickson and calvin parker were fishing in the pascagoula river when a whizzing sound was heard and they saw two flashing blue lights coming towards them immobilizing them and taking them on board their vessel They described beings as being about five feet tall, with pale, wrinkled skin, no visible eyes, pointed ears, a nose and a mouth, and claw-like hands, like crabs. They claimed they were examined by a mechanical eye-like device that seemed to scan their bodies. Hickson and Parker were then released back to where they were before. A very short abduction, to be fair.
1: They weren't interesting enough. They weren't interesting enough.
0: They didn't get the tour. They didn't get to meet their hybrid child. (laughs) Hickson and Parker immediately reported the incident to the local sheriff's department, convinced that they would not be believed. The police themselves were also very skeptical. They were like, okay, aliens, come on. Come on, guys. And they secretly recorded them during, like, them being taken into the police station, hoping to catch them in a hoax. But instead, they heard... Uh, them talking about like their real fear and anxiety. Uh, The quotes are such between, from Hickson to Parker. It scared me to death too, son. You can't get over in a lifetime. Jesus Christ, have mercy. Uh, The police who actually took their testimony commented, I don't know what happened to them. I wasn't there with them, but I know you don't fake fear. And they were fearful. They were fearful. He said that twice. Hickson passed a polygraph. I know they're not super reliable, but like for the purposes of like what people report on it as being. And also polygraphs are still used today, even though they are fake, unfortunately, but like so like legally meaning they do It does have some bearing, unfortunately. They shouldn't, but that's another story, Uh, but for the sake of the story, both both of them passed the polygraph Parker avoided public discussion of the event for years, did not want to interact with it, did not want it to be in the media, like complete avoidance of it. He thought it was silly he was also ridiculed by like people around him. He didn't, like he wanted no connection to it. Hickson on the other hand, he became like a bit of a UFOologist and decided to make a career out of it, which is fair, I would do the same. Like you can start selling UFO books. People will buy them, you know what I mean? After a couple of years, Hickson died. Parker's alive though, he was much younger than Hickson and he had to leave his town, his hometown because he kept getting ridiculed and like UFO fans kept coming to the site since the news reported on it after the police gave sort of the news, uh, he started taking jobs out of state. He moved around, like, actively avoiding all these people for years and years and years. And only now, around, like, 40 years after the event, is he starting to talk to media about it and, like, how the event was and how he felt about it. And still today, he kind of sticks to his story. Just, like, he saw lights, he, some, like, he, he got abducted... He's not entirely sure it was aliens, though, because it could potentially be demons. Because he, he's a God-fearing man, he said. And he said that, like, if there's good, odds are there's something bad too. And the experience was such a horrifying, scary event that whatever he encountered could have been aliens, could have been demons, could have been anything. But he doesn't, he doesn't want to lock it down as being specifically aliens, is the point. And I think that that kind of gives an indication of just like how weird those encounters and memories can be. And he describes the event as life-changing and traumatic. If he was making it up, or trying to make money from it, or was faking it, or anything like that, none of this makes sense. There, there is no rational explanation for him to do what he, for, for him to act in the way that he has acted, right? His friend, sure, he made money from making books and shit, but... His case doesn't make sense within sort of like like a selfish explanation of this being a fake story And there are so many more stories in a similar vein as him Who don't describe it as being aliens, who have no connection with the UFO community, who don't want to be known as sort of like UFO alien freaks And many of whom aren't entirely sure it was like space aliens They just know that they met something, that is the thing that they know, it's weird I did mention earlier that this phenomenon isn't super new. We as humans have had similar experiences when we mentioned like, yeah, like demons, incubi, and to be fair, God does that too. You know, like both Abrahamic gods, but also like several gods throughout history have also been known to sort of like pluck people up and like sometimes do sexual bits to them, but not always. Like throughout history, that has been a very common thing to do. So it's not entirely unreasonable that Parker is like, could be demons. That is my... Part on alien abductions. Normally, I would have a bigger segment here where I would have like the answer to what actually is happening here, like the like the overarching theory of what's going on. But the fact is, no one knows. And the explanations that I've sort of given before about like uh, anesthesia, amnesia, amnesia, and things like that, like they make up a very, very tiny percentage of the abductee cases. And for the vast majority, no one knows what's going on. Could be aliens. Could be something else. But listeners. I want to believe. Ooh, X-Files theme music plays. The X-Files logo comes up on the screen. I'm Agent Fox Mulder. (laughs) I said the line. That was my part on Alien Abductions. It was quite long. Mm -hmm. I do apologize. But I do hope that it has been interesting.
1: The only thing that was disappointing to me is I was... I really wanted to learn more about the lizard people. You gave me nothing. (laughs) Nothing about the lizards.
0: We don't know nothing about the lizard people. Spooky so five. <laughs> Spooky so five with lizard people. <laughs> it's all lizard people. There are there are a few more people who do go in like quite deep in sort of like the alien categorization like jive. Uh, people who make maps of alien cities and like the factions of the universe. A lot of those people are also like clearly cranks. Uh, like clearly people who are not to be trusted and people who want to sell books. Like. I like people who are like, I have spiritual connections with the Venusians every single Mm, other week. Uh, When the spirits are aligning with the stars of Mars. Like, it's... Like, I don't... I'm not interested in that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, that's a different subgroup of people, I think. uh, Compared to the people who are, like, quite direct. Being like, no, a ship came and
1: whoop. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: And that's also part of the story that kind of frustrated me a little bit. Finding information here is so difficult. Because... If you go, like, alien abductions, real, question mark, on Google, you'll find 4 billion results, half of which are, like, fake books written by idiots who want to sell stuff on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Just, like, I have spoken to, like, the ancient aliens of Egypt who have come from uh, hyperspace to talk to me about their super technology and using pyramids as landing platforms. Like, shut the fuck up can I just say in a similar vein yeah for the longest time I had another story that I was going to include in the script which was which everyone referred to it as like one of the most convincing abductee stories ever right Mm -hmm. like this is the one that proves they're real Uh, I had written it out it was like a big part of the script and it's also one of the reasons why like the end of my script seems a little bit more like sloppy than the rest of the script (laughs) just because I kind of had to like improvise like very close to the end um because right up until quite recently uh, writing in the script process I, I like I just stumbled on an article by one of the people who were abducted who just said like, yeah we made it up <laughs> oh, <laughs> which is just like no like god oh, that damn it sucks. so that has been our episode you could call it a close encounter <laughs> of the podcast kind <laughs> Um,
1: Pushing of the glasses mm, higher up the nose that never really did it
0: <laughs> the podcast kind um uh, I hope you liked it. I know I liked it. I know that my part was quite long, but if you have stamina listeners, then you can you can take it
1: like like you said earlier, are you a true fan? are you a true not? fan
0: or not that's right uh did you enjoy? writing the story because i am terrified and also scared now of going outside (laughs) in the cold because we're getting into winter and it's like snowing
1: i had a great time it's more i I feel a little bit like unsatisfied for not knowing the answer I know. like i want to like you know what's up what's up what's up in the mountains what's up with the aliens what's up there I can't believe that people would lie like hearing you say that that some people then admitted that they lied about it like that makes me really angry
0: I'm a girl especially
1: because like you know I'm the kind of person who if you tell me that something traumatic happened to you like I will believe you you know I believe women <laughs> and alien victims yeah it's crazy to me that people would lie about that I
0: know it's it's really frustrating too because like a lot of the sort of A lot of like the top ten list of sort of like alien abduction stories that have gone like and become quite famous. Mm -hmm. Many of them have been debunked by the by their own witnesses who Mm -hmm. have like later in life said, "No, we made it up."
1: Why would? But then
0: I I have no idea. But like the people who have made it up, they don't register on like the trauma tests, for example. Like Mm -hmm. they don't have the physiological responses. Those types of people don't recant typically mm. like they might sometimes they might change the story because the memories change over time which it does um but you know that's it's but it's frustrating it's so mm. frustrating when like you have a good story and then at the end it's just like nah we wanted to make money
1: yeah i think also with with my story uh the frustrating part is also like even the things that we know i don't know if i can trust yeah you know yeah. because they th- those are details that have been released by officials. Yeah. How much yeah. of that is true, we don't know. We don't know.
0: And if aliens exist, fucking I can see AA, probably <laughs> making sure that they all look as silly as possible so that we never believe it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening, folks. Follow us on social media if you are not wearing a tinfoil hat on your head, in which case my followers on social media rays are not penetrating your skull right now. But if you are getting the rays, embrace the rays. Follow us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitch, twitch.tv/leechfest. We've actually planned a stream sometime soonish.
1: I'm doing thumbs up right now.
0: Wonderful. I have been Mia.
1: And I have been Salem.
0: And uh, goodbye.